from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Menno is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studio in West Des Moines. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Good morning, Gina. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Just fine. Just Still fine. sunny. I love summer. It, it is lo- sunny. Longest day. Was it yesterday or the day before? I enjoyed that immense length of sunshine and brightness. Are you, are you getting out in it? That's the next thing. I, I am. Are I'm you? getting, yeah, and we've had a little bit of uh, low humidity. I mm-hmm. hear it's going to start getting more humid. So it's been nice to take walks. We've been dog sitting, so that forces me out of the house and taking walks, which is good. That's what I've been doing. I've been taking long walks uh, about a mile or so around the, the neighborhood, and uh, except when it rains. I don't get out when it rains, but uh, I've not been back to the gym yet, to the Mercy One uh, center over the there. health center yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah. i haven't our we suspended our y membership um i think that ends in july mm-hmm. so we'll see what they're doing i know they're open very limited so um we'll see how that works a out. lot of things are open very limited and uh, although i do like some of the, getting out to some of the restaurants that are open even if they're limited because it's nice sometimes to get out of the house to eat and uh, of course i have a, a dog that looks at me you know, when I eat at home, yes. waiting for something to fall on the floor and then mad at me when I don't give him anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's poor dog wasn't wasn't rescued into a family with children because I'm sure he'd be a lot more well fed. Well, the, the, I'll tell you, the f- when we have a dog, the floors are a lot cleaner because if you drop anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> they get Isn't it right nice? away. They get it right away. They um, do you take him for walks with you? He, He's a little too he, old for that. He likes to spend a lot of time out on the deck. You know, in the open air, just sleeping. You know, mm. and uh, so How we love him. Now we've had him sixteen years. Oh yeah, yeah. he is up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good for you. And You've so done something right. we're we're filling him full of certain pills so that uh, keeps his joints a little bit better and he perks up a little bit more. But uh, yeah, he's he's getting up there. He's wow, getting up. Good there. for yeah, you. Yeah. Nice work. Good old Buster. He's uh, he's okay. And then of course Gilligan, the cat. Um, she's just young. She's young, and she torments him, but he puts he, he puts up with it. He's a pretty good guy. He's uh, don't know if I can say the same thing for Gilligan, <laughs> but she fell off the bureau again last night in the middle of the night. And we had to go. Yeah, we had to. I thought you uh, looked a little tired this morning. <laughs> do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope. Give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. And it's uh, certainly apropos for these days with uh, what's going on. It really is. It's hard to watch the news. I try to stay up to date on what's going on for purposes of the, our show here mm-hmm. and our listeners, um, but it does get a little dark after a while. I have it to does. turn it off. It does, and uh, you kind of wonder uh, uh, what's going to come of the whole thing here. I, I don't know, but uh, it well, is not Well, we certainly could good. use a lot more peace, couldn't we? Uh, and, and to get it, I think we need a lot more prayer. 
I, I think that's where it starts. And I, I like to remind people all the time, at St. Augustine's, our Adoration Chapel is open 24 hours a day. Seven and days you, a week. And you can go there, um, meet Jesus face-to-face, so to speak. And, spend 10 minutes uh, and or spend three hours? Tell him, what you, tell him what your, your concerns are and, uh, and ask him for his assistance because we certainly, we certainly need that more than anything else right now, more than legal solution or political solution or anything. We need God's solution. Ask. Ask. Ask and you shall receive. Isn't that what it says? I, yep. All right. We got a we got a guest today, uh, and you're going to have him for and both. He's an expert on two issues. We're going to, and us. he's litigating one of them right now. And so we're we're going to talk to him in a few minutes, and uh, and get the skinny and all this. It's going to be a very interesting program. I uh, I agree. I can't wait to get him on. There. And we will have him back as soon as we return. This is Iowa Catholic Radio Faith on Trial. Thank you. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. The coronavirus has impacted lives in Iowa and around the world. This is especially true in rural South Africa, where COVID-19 restrictions have led to vulnerable children being hospitalized due to starvation. To combat this hunger, Blessman International now offers a program called One Child at a Time. You can sponsor a child in South Africa for $1 a day. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. BlessmanInternational.org. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq Des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Welcome back. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and I want to remind you that we have a text line if you have any comments or questions. It's uh, 515-223-1150. 
So if you have a question or comment, just let us know. Um, attorney Bob Sullivan is a Nebraska attorney, and he's currently uh, engaged in a uh, lawsuit or a case, I guess it's a lawsuit up for the uh, Nebraska Supreme Court on no-fault divorce. Uh, he's also a frequent uh, contributor to Spirit Catholic Radio in Omaha. Robert, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good, and thanks for having me this morning. Oh, certainly. Well, I want to talk to you about a couple of things, and so we're going to hold you over at break time uh, to talk about the second case. But the first case we want to talk about is no-fault divorce. Now, you have a case that is in front, I guess, uh, pending now in front of the Nebraska Supreme Court. Were you challenging the constitutionality of no-fault divorce? So if you can kind of give us your uh, your two-minute... Um, argument on why no-fault divorce is unconstitutional. Well, yeah, you know, I get I get a little bit more time than that in front of the Supreme Court, so we'll see if I can pare it down. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll no, see just... if we can ask better questions than <laughs> members of the court would. But Yeah, I'm afraid of the questions they're going to ask me. Um, so uh, it, I first want to point out the fact that I am not an expert in this field. I, um, I practiced uh, general... Uh, civil practice for years, and so I actually handled many divorces and many custody cases and things like that until uh, probably about 10 to 15 years ago when my conscience really started working on me, and I was thinking about, you know, how much damage that divorce was actually doing and and how my participation in that was not not good. And so uh, that's when I stopped doing family law and turned my practice primarily to uh, civil litigation. And uh, boy, my life has been so much happier since then. Divorce is, is such a destructive uh, force that it, it eats our, our court system, it eats the people within the court system, it eats the families involved in it, and of course, uh, most significantly, it just devours the children involved in it. So, um, so ha- having for, been there myself, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. You mean divorce? Yeah. No, not divorce, <laughs> but uh, handling divorce cases. <laughs> okay. and, and I, many, for many of the same reasons, stopped doing them years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I was out of the, you know, the family law field. Um, basically, probably for the last uh, eight or nine years, I was handling one case, just finishing up one case that kept on getting appealed up to the Supreme Court on various issues. Uh, but, it, you know, I told my client when, when they hired me, I said that, that I, I don't do them anymore. And this was just a modification. Mm-hmm. Um, but they pleaded with me. So I, I said, okay, we'll be done with this one within six months and about Five, six years later, we were finally finished with it. Um, Just I want you to write one letter for me. That's all. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's child support modification. It's just math, right? Well, it turned out it was a lot more than that as usual. So in any event, uh, I really was out of touch with <clears throat> any new developments in family law for the most part as far as you know, handling cases and litigating cases. So when uh, I was uh, contacted by... Uh, by McFarland and and eventually by my eventual client, you know, I kept on declining it, saying I'm not interested in in handling family law anymore. And you know, they made it clear to me that well, this really is to avoid a divorce, stop a divorce. Um, you know, I knew that that was going to be a futile effort under the current law, and I didn't want to see um, my client, a client of mine really get uh, raked over the coals and lose a lot of uh, financial um, gain or financial, what they could salvage financially and, and with property in the divorce. So I, I kept on telling them, Yo, 
boy, this is a battle you don't want to fight, really, and, and I don't want to fight it for you because I'm going to end up with a very, very unhappy client. Um, but eventually, they made it clear to me that it was really, um, you know, the, the, the money, the property, things like that didn't really matter. What mattered was the sanctity of the marriage um, and, the, and the vow made, uh, you know, in a Catholic marriage. And so I begrudgingly agreed to at least look into it. And when I did... Um, you know, I had already dealt a lot with my concern over no-fault divorce and the fact that, you know, we have a real um, we have a real crisis of marriage and family in the United States right now. So I had already known quite a bit of the information about, you know, the, the destructiveness of no-fault divorce and uh, the decay of marriage and family. So I thought, okay, um, if, if my client really wants to fight this, I'm going to make it clear to him that this is not going to end well. Um, you know, the, the court could really come down on them hard and, uh, and we've got to be, we've got to be prepared for that. And so I agreed to go ahead and take it. And as, as predicted, um, you know, things have, uh, you know, things have not gone the way that we wanted it because the, the court, I think under the law had to, um, award the divorce and that was the only thing that mattered. And so now we've appealed it up and, and our, we'll make our arguments, uh, I think, in September. You know, under the no-fault divorce law, uh, I, I suppose uh, Nebraska's is probably just about comparable to Iowa's here. All you have to prove is that the legitimate objects of matrimony can no longer be achieved. And you prove that simply by having one party get up in court swearing that that's the truth. And uh, as you say, then pretty much the divorce is automatic. Yeah, basically in Nebraska, the standard is uh, that the marriage has been irretrievably broken, and it doesn't use the nuance of uh, that the Iowa uh, courts have have uh, used. But I think the same meaning is there: is that you know the parties have tried to reconcile, and that reconciliation has failed, and there's really no hope to uh, live in. Uh, uh, an effective marriage then on out and it takes only one party of course which is uh the way it is in all 50 states and so that yeah in nebraska it's that the marriage is irretrievably broken yeah. so there has to be some effort to reconcile prior to that but i i don't know if i've ever had a case uh in which one of the parties alleged that the other party did not attempt to reconcile and we actually had an evidentiary hearing on that i think the 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 standard is extremely low and so if a party thought well you know i'll give them a break uh, today and then change their mind the next day that was their effort to reconcile and so let's move on with the divorce yeah i um i it's been so long ago uh that i practice in this area that i'm a little rusty on it things may have changed uh, but it seems to me that the parties are required to try conciliation uh they can waive it but uh, if uh, they do want to do conciliation, one party that is interested in the divorce um, only needs to show up at one session and then say it's not working. Okay, yeah, that, so that must be, that's probably a, another little difference in the Nebraska law, or in the Iowa law from the Nebraska law. In Nebraska, there's really no requirement that the parties actually go to, you know, any type of a session or anything like that. Um, I think that uh, under the Nebraska law, as far as I'm aware, um, there just has to be even a private effort um, by one or both parties to say, let's try to work this out. 
and it could be done, I think, across from the dinner table on one night and, and fail, and that's all they need. Yeah, I know one of the things I used to do when I'd have somebody come in and say, I, I really don't want a divorce, uh, but I have to do something for finances or whatever, what we'd do is we'd file for separate maintenance. And then what the other yeah. side would do would then counter back with a petition for divorce. That way, the client that I had wasn't initiating the divorce uh, action. Yeah, I've done a number of those in Nebraska. That's called a legal separation. So it handles all the financial and custody and support issues, uh, divides debt and things like that. In Nebraska, what that does is it relieves um, the spouse of liability for the other spouse's medical uh, bills as mm-hmm. well. So there is, uh, you know, a you know, if there's a catastrophic medical condition or some concern that there could be, um, uh, that's the effect of that as well. But what it does is it leaves the, the marriage, you know, for purposes of the vows intact. And so that is one way that a number of Catholic people um, have tried to preserve at least the sacramental aspect of their marriage in the eyes of the law, um, but take care of financial issues so they weren't tethered to this, you know, this financial millstone in, in many of these cases. Right. Long before we had uh, electronic filing, when you actually went into the clerk of court's office to file things, I remember <coughs> taking in a petition for separate maintenance and the clerk looking at that and said, what in the world is this? <laughs> They'd never seen one before. <laughs> it was always a divorce. They always jumped to a divorce right away. That's interesting you say yeah. that because I have never heard of that before. So th- that's, well, if you're that's a good thing to know working in the clerk's office, <laughs> that would have been your question for me. Yeah, what is, this? what is this? So, is there some kind of precedent for this kind of a constitutional challenge? Um, there have been other cases across the country where a party has tried to make a constitutional challenge against no-fault divorce, but the, the facts and circumstances oftentimes weren't great for it, and uh, sometimes there were procedural issues. And uh, so what I've really tried to do uh, is make sure that that this is tailored to get us to the point where the court enters a, an order upon which others can build. And in the past, what we basically, I, based on my research anyway across the country, is that they've all been kind of misfires and that the court's always been able to say, well, because of this uh, mistake procedurally, this isn't going to be an issue before us, or because of these facts um, and the way that it was presented to the court, um, this is not something that is, you know, an, an issue before the court today. So we're just going to move on and yeah. and sustain the lower court. I don't, I don't think the judges, too many judges, are in favor of throwing out no-fault divorce. It makes life a lot easier for them, I think. But the problem with no-fault divorce is that uh, it's just what it says. It is no fault. We don't have That's any right. other uh, litigation, civil litigation, uh, that uh, doesn't assign fault someplace in order for you to recover. Yeah, it's a very unique animal in the law. And, of course, as you know, uh, this really came about in the late 60s and started becoming law across the country in various states in about 1970. Uh, and the effort, you know, historically was to um, curtail what what people saw as an increasing rate of divorce, you know, broken marriages, broken families. And they thought that no-fault divorce was going to be a huge remedy and a step in the right direction for that, in addition to empowering women who were stuck in abusive uh, divorces where there was a great imbalance of, uh, imbalance of financial um, assets so that, you know, Bad husbands could basically uh, hire any attorney that they decided to hire, but if the if the wife wanted a divorce, you know she 
she had to go begging around for basically any attorney that would be willing to do the work for her. And uh, that did result in a lot of inequity in, uh, in divorces, uh, you know, prior to 1970. But the bad part is it, it hasn't really, it hasn't, first of all, stemmed uh, and, cr- and corrected the, the uh, you know, the arc of the divorces. Um, and there's still so many flaws in the system that, you know, the, the abused and the poor and, and the people that, um, you know, cannot really afford their own attorney are still at a huge disadvantage. Well, the other person that is at a disadvantage is a uh, wrong spouse, especially a wife uh, who has children at home uh, who maybe is dealing with a husband who's a philanderer or something, and she puts up with it because of the at least the financial stability for she and her children. Um, under the old law, uh, she was the only one then that could bring the lawsuit or bring a case for divorce because he was violating the marital vows. Now, with no-fault divorce, the philandering husband can go out, claim that there's been a breakdown of the marriage relationship to where the legitimate objects of matrimony can no longer be achieved, and really walk out just on his own say-so. And he may be saddled with some child support or something, because alimony is almost a thing of the past, and this poor wife now is left with the children at home that she has to support, and very little support from the husband, uh, who was the reason for the divorce. Yeah, that's right. And in, in, in Nebraska law, the court is required to um, make an equitable distribution of the assets of the marriage. And so you can set certain things aside out of that distribution, such as premarital assets and things like that. But uh, for the most part, you, you basically take a snapshot of the couple's financial history, either at the time of separation, the date of filing, or at some point thereafter that the parties agree on and say, okay, here are our debts and our assets and our property. And we need to divide this. And under Nebraska law, an equitable distribution is roughly a 60-40 split, if not 50-50. So the courts, I think, try to do about a 50-50 split. But in certain circumstances, they can do a 60-40, you know, based on a party's earning potential and things like that. Right. And that leaves the wrong party in a position where they can get shafted. um, That's right. Financially. Yeah. Yeah. So, so... uh, in many cases in the past, you know, I represented either the the bad actor or the one that was the innocent victim of, of you know, just a really, really bad act on the other party's part. And, you know, in both cases, there was a party that just could not understand how they could only come up with, you know, 40 to 60 percent of the assets when the other party was, was acting that badly. And some cases you know it left somebody kind of laughing as they left the courtroom that gosh you know i've i've done all these things and i still walk out of here with 40 percent of the assets or with 50 percent of the assets and only 40 or 50 percent of the debt and uh, gosh you know i'm i'm starting a new life and the other party's sitting there just crushed even further mm-hmm. by that reality so we'll- and that's and that's irrespective of the harm done to the children yeah, that's the other thing. I, I've always thought if you're going to have no-fault divorce, it should be uh, people who are uh, in early years of their marriage without children. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you can split things fairly equally that way, and you're not harming the children. But once you have children, uh, it, it, it does turn into a problem. You say that, Deacon Mike, but has there ever been a situation where a judge would say, no, you cannot get divorced? I mean, is that an, was, that, was that or is that ever an option? Uh, I unaware of any situation in Iowa where that's happened, okay. under no-fault divorce. 
under I, I, go ahead. I, I had it happen once, and then we had to go back and and lay out more facts as to why the divorce um, was warranted. So it was basically a procedural issue in, in that case. Do many um, divorce situations that either of you have seen uh, reconcile themselves? And, and like it's a very small percentage, or does this process help the, um, the, the marriage reconcile? Well, there are some cases where uh, the parties get together after a while and they talk to one another and they decide maybe they better stay together. Whether, whether that works out forever or not, I don't, I don't know. But we do have, or we did have, again, I'm more semi-retired than anything else, but we did have uh, 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 time frames in the court system where from the day of filing to the day of you bring the case to trial, it has to be within a year or something like that. And you would start getting notices from the clerk of court saying, what's up with this? You know, you, you haven't moved forward. We're going to dismiss the whole thing unless you set a trial date or something. So sometimes I think, uh, as I recall, there may have been one or so like that that we've lost because they were they were talking and delaying and of course they can always they're they're dismissed without prejudice so they can always go back and refile those cases i don't know how it is in nebraska but i would imagine it'd be somewhat similar yeah any any uh, divorce attorney um that that handles a number of divorces can tell uh almost an endless number of war stories that would bore most people but um it, there's been many cases over the years in which parties have filed for divorce and let it go and they've lived you know years and years uh, afterward as a married couple without trouble there's been some that um have uh you know, just done a legal separation and then and then gotten that set aside to remain married. There's been some that have actually gotten the divorce. And uh, in Nebraska, you cannot remarry for six months after the, the court decrees the divorce because of this. They, it still wants to give the parties an opportunity to reconcile even after the court has said your divorce uh, has been granted, your marriage is null and void. And uh, so you can't remarry for six months because within that six months period, you can go back in and just set aside the decree and you don't have to go through a new process of getting remarried to that same party. Oh, and that's happened to some of my clients in the past as well. I see. Uh, oh, now what's so the, what are the legal arguments to the unconstitutionality of the no-fault divorce? Well, you you brought up one of them, and the, and so one of the legal arguments is the fact that this is, uh, you know, it's a legal fiction. Uh, so it's the only really, at least the one, the only one I can think of where there's no uh, need to show fault. Uh, there's no right to bring forth evidence uh, in the case as to uh, certain facts and circumstances in the case that uh, should be relevant to a divorce, such as. Um, you know, infidelity or abuse or addiction, things like that, that um, were part of the uh, fault divorce process up until 1970. Um, and so there's this, uh, there's this due process um, violation as well. And the way the courts, have, where the way the statutes get around that is they just create a legal fiction and they say, well, we're a no-fault divorce state, so now you don't need to prove these things. There's no uh, legal... Uh, uh, step of due process in these cases as far as some of these things are concerned. I'm, I'm so, assuming that the court is not going to look favorably on this petition, um, but uh, what do you see the court doing? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Well, I, I can't really speak to what I think the Nebraska Supreme Court would do, but I would think that any court 
um, certainly a lower court has to follow the law of their state. So they're going to, it's going to go through the trial court system uh, and get up to the appellate court system. And the appellate court system is going to look at it and say, well, give us something better. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what, what do you have in mind that's going to, um, you know, be a better solution to these things? Because we've tried the we've tried the fault process and we've seen serious flaws in that, we've now tried the no fault process and people are alleging serious flaws in that. You know what solution do you have? And I can see, um, you know, some uh, appellate court judges across the country really taking issue with the fact that, you know, if we go back to a fault, uh, an obligation to prove fault, you're really again putting, uh, you know, low income women who are most likely to be abused, uh, most likely to be involved in situations where there's alcohol and drug uh, abuse and addiction, um, you know, you're putting them at the at the greatest disadvantage again. So give us something that, uh, you know, we can hang our hat on. And I think the appellate courts are still going to say, no matter what you say, it's not good enough because, you know, we aren't going to just legislate from the bench unlike right. the Supreme Court likes to do lately. Yeah, and we're um, going to talk but, about uh, that in, you know, in a minute. <laughs> this is something that you take back to your state legislatures. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We're going to get but to that. But this is something that um, we can take back to our state senators. Okay. And uh, we'll uh, we remind yeah, people talk that to them they about, only have okay, senators here's, in Nebraska. Here's what we do with regard to... <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come right back with Bob. This is uh, Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Be back in three minutes. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Karbaka, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal 
and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Pretty warm this afternoon. We'll be in the upper 80s and we should be sunny, partly cloudy overnight down to the low 70s and maybe a shower. Then our next big system arrives tomorrow in the form of a cold front, partly sunny in the morning, afternoon showers and thunderstorms, windy and upper 80s. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And this is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we are back with Bob Sullivan from Nebraska. Um, Bob, um, uh, besides the no-fault divorce, one of the things we want to talk to you about is the case that was decided by the United States Supreme Court last year, or last week, I guess, uh, Bostock versus Clayton, which is a case involving... Um, transgender and homosexual plaintiffs that are claiming were claiming protection under the federal law uh, for discrimination about or over sex and the question was does sex include homosexuality does it include um, transgenderism and things like that what sayeth thou well, that's a very concerning uh, opinion, to say the least, for two reasons. First of all, it's it's horribly flawed, and secondly, it was authored by uh, one of the justices who we felt uh, was probably the most capable of seeing through this very flaw and writing a decision that would clarify this in the best interest of everybody, uh, not uh, leaning uh, so far to the left with the LGBT um, ideology. So those are the two, uh, you know, kind of shocking things about uh, about this case. And I think it, it kind of what I <clears throat> what I'd like I, maybe the listeners need to understand that when you look at any type of a, an opinion, you look at um, first of all the facts, so you can outline the issues of the case, and then you kind of skip down to the opinion, the the the, the decision, uh, you know what the findings are of the case, and then you back up into at least the way I read them is I back up into the reasoning, so I understand what the case is about, what are the important aspects of the case, what the court decided, and then you look and see, okay, how did the court come to this? And Justice Gorsuch's um, reasoning, uh, the the way that he arrived at his uh, final conclusion in the case, is is based on. Uh, a huge flaw, and that is that if any employer terminates or refuses to hire somebody because they are, um, uh, you know, if they if they fire or refuse to hire somebody, and that person is either homosexual, uh, which is same sex attracted, or gender dysphoric, which is trans transgendered, then they are thereby discriminating based on sex. Well, that it doesn't. And Justice Alito points out that that isn't the case. That's that's a flawed way to begin the approach. And because they began the approach that way, everything after that and the whole decision is flawed. And that happens with, I think, the sixth sentence of Justice Gorsuch's decision. Yeah, uh, it seemed to me that there were, never, there were three cases that were consolidated for this. Two of them, I think the plaintiffs had perhaps a legitimate claim that they were being discriminated against. I uh, don't know if maybe this was too broad a, uh, an opinion for him, but there was one that really bothered me, and that was the funeral director uh, mm-hmm. who was dealing with bereaved people 
in a quasi-religious setting for a funeral. And, um, and he was terminated because he was going to, I guess, cross-dress. And the court held for him that he was being discriminated against. Um, that was the, the part of it that really bothered me. But now this was done in the setting of a labor uh, dispute. Um, how far is this going to extend out into other areas besides uh, hiring and firing, where sex is now equivalent to transgenderism and homosexuality? Yeah, so this was all based in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which gives us discrimination in the workplace, how to handle discrimination in the workplace based on certain uh, criteria. So that'd be um, race and sex and religion and things like that. So this only uh, deals with Title VII, which is employment law. Now, uh, Justice Gorsuch, in his opinion, says points that out. This is only Title VII, folks. Don't get concerned about schools and restrooms and locker rooms and and sports competitions. Don't worry about that. This is only regarding employment, which is uh, a similar argument that we saw with contraception when when they when they legalized contraception uh, in 1964. They legalized it only for married women and they said folks don't worry about this this is just for married women it's just for family planning don't worry about it uh and then a few years later they had to legalize it for all women because of the due process well, equal uh equal protection uh, clause of the constitution so if you if you legalize it for one class of people you have to then legalize it for all classes of people and so i uh, it, it that is to me um a complete waste of time in this decision. This this decision is going to be used immediately by anybody who wants to push this uh, through on schools and in other um, in other walks of life, so that you know we have to publicly accommodate people based on uh, you know their their sexual orientation and gender identity. And these are the SOGI laws that that you know state legislatures and congress keeps on getting hammered with that you know we need to make these specially protected classes to give them a hammer against anybody that doesn't want to do something for them like we've seen in baron all stutzman and right. and with the with the cake case in uh, in denver uh, you mentioned schools what is this going to do with the ability of catholic schools to hire uh catholic people that are are, are loyal to the magisterium uh, as teachers in the schools, we will soon find out. But I think it's gonna it, it's going to come through again a Supreme Court case. Uh, it'll probably happen within the next couple of years. But uh, there will be a uh, a teacher that is either not hired or fired because of uh, their uh, their decision to either marry somebody of the same sex or uh, show up at school dressed or uh, surgically altered to appear more like the opposite sex. And when they're let go by a faithful school, then uh, we're going to see that case litigated. And uh, here's, here's, I think, uh, something that Catholics need to be very aware of, is that there's a lot of Catholic schools out there who will not um, care if somebody... Uh, shows up and announces that they are now somebody of the opposite sex. Uh, there's a lot of Catholic schools out there that will not care if somebody says, I'm marrying my same-sex partner next week. But there are some that are. 
and I can see it's possible that the courts will discern between the two. They'll say, um, you know, if you are a school that has a history of, of following the teachings of the church and, and have consistently treated unwed mothers, uh, single parents, um, you know, things like that, uh, in accordance with the teachings of your church, then, yeah, we, we think that you are treating everybody the same. Uh, but if you are letting uh, somebody say, well, I'm just going to live with my girlfriend and they can still work at your school, and now you're telling this person they can't look like their girlfriend and, and work at the school, then you've now discriminated. Uh, now, I don't think that comes from Gorsuch's decision because his is much broader. For him, sex is a pretty much an all-inclusive term. But I can see this argument bubbling up in other in other venues around the country and saying, "Gosh, you know, uh, you know, this is a really liberal uh, Christian uh, organization. Why are they singling out, uh, you know, homosexuals as the one bad actor in the whole organization when they're letting all these other, you know, immoral or sinful practices go on, you know, without saying a word about it?" Is this going to erode the ministerial exception that? Uh generally Catholic schools and other parochial schools enjoy? I wonder. You know, we've got the Lutheran uh, uh, school case where uh, they've designated, uh, you know, pretty much everybody as ministers, and and the court, uh, you know, upheld that, saying, well, you know, if they're a minister, then, you know, they can make these decisions consistent with their church teaching and not be considered to be discrimination. Uh, I think this does erode that, and I think it probably will if, you know, with these other cases that come up, because they will be specifically tailored to that. And I think, again, they will look at uh, in more detail at the past history of maybe that that minister, you know, whether they're a math teacher or a PE teacher or a religion teacher or, a, or an actual ordained minister, um, and see if... Uh, you know, they are consistent across the board, or if in some ways they're hypocritical, you, you might say, and in this way they're being like ultra-Orthodox. Uh, well, then how far are we away then uh, for the courts to take up the issue as what exactly is your church's teaching, and, uh, and is it right, uh, is it consistent, and uh, maybe uh, your teaching isn't consistent with the larger body you're a member of or make a value judgment on that i think we are a blink of an eye away from that as a matter of fact just a few years ago there was the mayor of houston i think it was houston who wanted copies of every um, minister's homily or sermon for their sunday services so she could determine whether or not they were um, preaching hate toward lgbt and uh you know so if we have uh what would be considered leaders in major metropolitan cities that are that are bold enough to do that, um, and we have other people within you know the federal government and and state governments across the country that are equally as bold. Um, then, what they're saying in public is definitely a muted version of what they're saying in private. So they aren't being they aren't being um, less bold in their private conversations with people they think they can trust. And when they go out in public and say these things and, and make these decisions, um, they are uh, they're actually toning it down. So what did what did that mayor actually, you know, what was the agenda in private? Yeah. So that that seems like a very dark future for people of faith. How do we defend ourselves against this? Is it just well, a matter we, of following we, we through the all, courts? 
Yeah, we, we all have to speak up. We all have to um, refuse to, to bow to the state on, on those issues. And not every, you know, not every state, not every governor, not every, you know, official is anti-Christian. But those that are seem to have, uh, seem to feel like they have a license to take it further and further every day. And it's our obligation as lay Catholics uh, to stand up against that and say, I'm not going to do it. Well, this, the tough part of that is, is that it might require martyrdom, and probably not blood martyrdom yet, but it'll it'll require white martyrdom. And so we had Brendan Ike in California who uh, who donated to support the proposition to make um, marriage between a male and a female uh, a, a constitutional provision in California, and it passed. And then years later, that was used against him. Uh, and and he, as the uh, creator and founder of a software company, was forced to step down and basically, uh, you know, uh, suffer white martyrdom because of that. More of us are going to be required to do that if we hope to have anything uh, uh, with regard to religious freedom in our country uh, in 10, 20, 30 years. They call it the uh, cancel uh, culture now. What do they yeah. call it? Cancel, cancel culture. culture. Cancel, cancel culture. And so it's not only the Me Too and and uh, now the racist. Uh, you know, everybody's a racist uh, allegation. Um, it is uh, you know basically anything that the culture and this is this is the the progressive um, liberal progressive culture, which is the minority, but they're so loud they seem like the majority, and they have things like higher education and the media and a lot of political. A force behind them, um, they're able to basically uh, scare people into bowing to them. So what this would require in our martyrdom or our promotion of it is perhaps to um, promote those leaders that follow our values. Uh, um, vote in our voting in the voting booths and financially when we yeah, can't Each one of candidates. these leaders that's making these like the mayor of Houston, I think it was Houston, uh, do these, the mayors around the country, they've all been popularly elected. And, That's right. And, and That's right. somebody's falling asleep at the wheel if they're continuing to elect these people. And I think over and over again, we have seen uh, certain big cities anyway that are run by the same clique of people year after year after year after year and things keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse but they scare people into telling them that the other side is going to come after you with a noose that's right if you uh, that's right if you vote for them yeah the uh it, there's a lot of scare tactic there's a lot of misinformation out there a lot of partial information which we know is propaganda and you know i'd say probably the um uh you know the uh I don't know what you would say, but the the poster child of all this is probably Seattle, Washington. And, you know, for several years you've seen people um, look at Seattle, Washington and say, thank God I don't live there. Um, And a lot of people in Seattle are thinking, why do I live here? Um, But you've got, you know, uh, public urination and defecation on the streets. You have these tent villages. You have a police force that says we can't enforce our ordinances and laws here because if we do, we're the ones that get disciplined. So um, now they have an entire section of their city that's taken over by anarchists and Antifa, 
And the governor and the mayor of Seattle, the governor of Washington and the mayor of Seattle, initially say, oh, more power to them. This is great that they're out there peacefully protesting. Well, in reality, summer it's not Summer of love. Protest. Isn't that what the mayor called it? There's going to be the summer of love. Yeah. Yeah. Which we had once, I think, right? Yeah. So it's just a snowball effect. So we talk about these cases that um, are a direct attack on our faith and our values. And as we've tried these cases, the little chisel away um, seeps into our everyday lives and and then eventually into our faith lives. Yeah, and if you look at Seattle right now, what other than the violence there, what's the difference between allowing these people to take over a city street or a couple blocks of the city? And there is out in California, in San Francisco, and in Los Angeles, where they're allowing people to set up tent cities and not yeah, move that- them. That's happening in, in a number of our cities along the West Coast and in the in the democratically uh, liberal progressive uh, led communities across the U.S. There are these tent cities where there is excessive drug use, um, there is a lot of petty crime and 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 other crimes that stem from that, which are much more serious. And the police are being told you cannot arrest, you cannot ticket, you can't you know harass these people. Because um, that's not what we're all about. In some places, not, you can't even go in there. No go zone. Yeah, police aren't yeah. even allowed in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would really encourage people to read the history of the French Revolution. Uh, uh, there is a uh, Warren Carroll has a uh, whole section on in his uh, history of Christendom. Uh, uh, it's, I think, it's volume four on the French Revolution. There's a number of other very good books on it. And that's literally, I think, what we are seeing now is, is uh, you know, textbook execution of the very things that gave rise and fall to the French Revolution, which consumed itself. The, the leaders that came up in the French Revolution were themselves consumed by it and oftentimes beheaded or murdered. Um, and we are seeing that in the cancel culture today. Yeah. So even, even the far-left... Uh, progressive liberals, uh, you know, who are who are like the like the mouthpieces for this movement, they themselves are being thrown under the bus left and right, like Al Franken and others. Um, they dig up history on them too, as soon as they don't like something they've said or done, and they're done. Yeah, and I notice in uh, in Seattle, I guess there's one group there that wants to stay put. There's another group that wants to move to the uh, Space Needle. Yeah, get over. Yeah. They're going to fight among themselves, and God only knows what's going to happen. And I think you probably meant uh, Al Sharpton, not Franken. Uh, Al Franken, the senator from Oh, Minnesota. Al Franken, that. Okay, sure. all right. Yeah. So, yep, yeah. li- definitely the living embodiment of progressive liberal. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, we're going to have to close it out right now because we're running out of time here. Bob, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was certainly an eye-opening uh, discussion here. We appreciate it. Uh, when you go to a, a Spirit Catholic Radio, what uh, what do you do there? Well, I uh, I write a uh, uh, semi-monthly or bi-weekly column for the Nebraska Catholic Register called mm-hmm. In Layman's Terms. Uh, and so oftentimes we're talking about my most recent column for that, which is basically an apologetics and an evangelization column that is that is written in terms that laymen can understand. Uh, so it's not for, you know, clergy and, and you know, people that are highly engaged in church uh, issues. Uh, I also write periodically for a number of other Catholic publications, so sometimes we might be talking just about a blog of mine. So I have a blog site called uh, bsullivan.org, 
Okay. And uh, so I have a number of blogs in there, which I've not been doing a good job of updating lately. But and then I've write I've written a number of articles for. I just have a new article out by Catholic Answers Magazine okay. based on a uh, an event where I went to in Grand Island, Nebraska. The Planned Parenthood came and gave a talk at a Christian church in Grand Island promoting their services, and wow. uh, me and a number of other pro-lifers went there and and engaged them in conversation, which. Uh, didn't go very well for them. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, we appreciate I, your writing and everything. I know I I write a <laughs> weekly column for the uh, the the uh, Wanderer, and yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. we're all on the same page here. Robert, thank you very much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. God bless you well, and thanks. your work. And uh, we'll yeah. check out that blog. The name of the blog again, one more time, is uh, bsullivan.org. Okay. And my most recent stuff is usually at the Nebraska Catholic Register um, and uh, things like Crisis Magazine and, and those Catholic men. But uh, th- Mike and Gina, thank you very much for thank having you. me. It was an invigorating conversation, and God bless we the work s- that you guys we are doing. We certainly appreciate you, it. Sir. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. 
Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. And we're back, and we're pretty much out of time. We just have uh, long enough, I think, for our prayer. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We will see you again next Thursday on Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.